Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 15, it is on. It's, it's going to be awesome. Good. It's going to be good. Yeah, we're going to cover the Ten Commandments today, which as you said, mm. a law that they can't keep. Do you keep it? Well, you know, I've, I've kept these from my youth, to quote a great man. Wow. Rich young ruler. It's, it's in the Bible. You should Wow, I'll check, check it, it out. out. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so... Um, the people of God are freed from their slavery and their servitude to the Egyptians. Egyptians got wrecked in uh, the, uh, the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, as we talked yeah. about last week. Um, and now where do the people of God find themselves? So now they're in the wilderness. They're going to be there for a very, very long time. Dang so it. get comfortable. Uh, it's only a couple days journey to the promised land. But they're going to turn that couple of days or a couple of weeks maybe into 40 years, as, as we know. Bummer. That's That's yet to come. But as they're starting to wander in the wilderness or starting to walk towards their destination, remember when God had called Moses in chapter 3, he had said to him, after you've delivered the people, come, you're going to come and worship me on this mountain. So the mountain where God uh, met Moses originally right. is going to be where he's going to meet them. So it's called Horeb or Sinai, mm -hmm. as we know it. So that's where they're heading toward first. They're going to worship God there, and God's going to um, really constitute a people for himself. He's going to take that people and take them from just a, a rabble, um, just a, a bunch of slaves that have been freed into an actual nation with laws, with mm. systems of government. Um, it's, a, it's a very important what's going to happen. But on the way, it's, it's amazing. It doesn't take them very long to show just how terrible of people they are. Right. They become very impatient. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it, it literally happens right away. So they're saved. In chapter 15, Moses writes this, this song. And then in chapter 16, in verse 3, it says, um, the people of Israel said, said to them, meaning Moses and Aaron, would that we had died um, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, right? Basically, we wish that we had been on the receiving end of God's judgment rather than of his salvation. Right. Um, when we sat by the, the meat pots and ate bread to the full, mm -hmm. for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, right? So we're going to die from hunger. I love, I just love over and over again, I cannot get over just how much they will reference the great food they had in Egypt. <laughs> it's like, I think that, that, that we received for free. That's what I was saying. Like, we got free food in Egypt. Like, free. What, what, was, what were we doing in Egypt? What was mm, that? Slavery? Oh, yes. Our entire <laughs> lives were, were owned by Pharaoh. But other than that, yes, we, it was totally free food. Um, but they're complaining already. And then chapter 17, again, so God will, will give them something in, in uh, chapter 16. But in 17, they complain again, right? Same, same verse, verse 3 in chapter 17. They thirsted for water and they grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Even the, the cows, the poor goats are dying, Moses. You don't care about us. Sad. So, yeah, this is going to be the character of Israel for a, a long time. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Has it really stopped at all? I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, at least know, until I, Jesus. Yeah, I, least. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I actually sympathize with the Israelites here. Uh, you know, it's um, close to the beginning of the year. We're all doing resolutions. Um, I was doing the carnivore diet. Um, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty brutal. Um, Lasted. Uh, I think I got 11 days. 11? Wow. 11 days. That's amazing. Eating only meat. Man, amazing. I was really proud of myself. Um, 
it was horrible. Um, I too got impatient and uh, wished I had died in Egypt and could go back to all the wonderful carbohydrates that uh, I would eat. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do you think is worse, uh, a manna diet or a pure meat diet? <sighs> the manna does sound pretty good. It sounds like it's a little. I mean, bit sweet. sweet. Yeah, yeah, a little bit sweet. It's a lot of gluten. I mean, they got. T- I think that you know, human nature. You get tired of whatever you have a lot of, and just you know. But I'm going to go with carnivore diet, way worse. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I would never do that to myself. Yeah, I'm thinking, when I think of the manna in heaven, I think of almost like a Hawaiian sweet roll, and I love those things. It's Yeah, it's uh, the description is interesting, right? It's like It says it's like a coriander seed, mm-hmm. which I had to look up. I don't know. I, well, who knows what that looks <laughs> like? But it's like these, this little, you know, it's like a pretty good size seed. Um, and it's these wafers, right, that, that taste kind of like honey and... Yeah, so God provides for them in chapter 16, provides them food from heaven, which is pretty cool, right? And it's a food from heaven that's self-replenishing. It's there every single day. And um, and it's a sign of God's provision, obviously, right? Right. They're amazed by it. Um, This is a way that God says in verse 12 of chapter 16, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Remember, that was his mission with Pharaoh. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's going to be his mission with Israel. <laughs> Israel still doesn't know just who God is. Mm. And so he's going to provide for them. And I, I love in verse 18 of chapter 16, it says, when they, when they measured it, whoever had, had gathered much had nothing left over. Right. And whoever gathered little had no lack. So somehow, miraculously, every single person gets exactly what they need mm-hmm. and not a drop more. And so this is a picture of God's provision. He's going to give them exactly what they need. And very often God does that with us too, right? He gives us what yeah, we need, 100%. but not not a ton left over very often. But it's, he never lets us go without what we need. Right. And yet we still get impatient as well with our life. So we always Absolutely. want more. And, Absolutely. You know. And on your note of the carnivore diet, I mean, when, <laughs> when, I was, so when I was in Israel, we spent some time down in, um, in the Negev and, and near Sinai and... Uh, one of our teachers challenged us with, okay, so you, we, all, we all talk about the Israelites like they were just complete morons. They didn't, they didn't know anything, right? That's how we're talking about them. But as we're standing on these rocks in this desert, he said, just imagine being here for a whole day. Now imagine that that's like your entire life for 40 years. It's just mm. this kind of scenery, this kind of heat, this, I mean, it's, it's awful, right? right? I'm like, okay, I can have some sympathy for what they're going through. I mean, this was... This was a rough journey, a rough existence. Right. But what we'll see throughout is that God is providing for them. In fact, when they get to the promised land, uh, Moses will say to them, your, your shoes haven't even worn out. You've had these same <laughs> shoes for 40 years, and they haven't worn out. Your clothes haven't worn out. God's miraculously provided for you exactly what you right. need for this entire journey. So, yeah. Well, I'm into that. And yeah, and God not only uh, gets his people through the hardest of times that he's set before them, but he promises that he'll get them through it, right? Yeah. And so oftentimes it's, it's manifested in a covenant. We've talked about covenant before through Genesis. We touched on it a little bit here, um, but covenant is reintroduced into the story. So um, but let's talk a little bit about what a covenant is from you know a pulled back view. So yeah. if you were to, to explain to someone who never heard the biblical idea of a covenant, um, what would you say to them? Yeah, so often what I'll say is that a covenant is an oath in blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love O. Palmer Robbins, Robertson wrote a great book on, on covenants, and he, he describes it a little bit longer description, but he says a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Hmm. So sovereignly administered being that there's someone who's in charge 
who is initiating the covenant. But really the ideas of a bond in blood are so helpful, right? So a bond is something that it ties two people together. So we often think of covenant as just, I mean, the covenant of marriage as just a promise we make to somebody, right? right? And if we want to go back in that promise, we can, no big deal, right? Yeah. But a covenant is you're, you're bound together in a relationship. It's, an, it's, it's more than a promise. Which it's is what marriage just, should be, but society yes. is often switched yeah. it, right? You're, you're, you're you know, tied together in this, in this profound way, and then it's a, a bond in blood. It, it has to do with life and death. So for marriage, yeah. the covenant is you don't get out of it until... Somebody dies. That's yeah, part, that's, right? that's the end of the covenant, right? And that's kind of an idea that's, that's prevalent in covenants in Scripture as well, that mm-hmm. um, only death would get you out of that covenant. Right. And, and um, so, so God is constantly administering these covenants, or a few times in Scripture administers these covenants, and when they're initiated, there's a sacrifice of some sort, mm-hmm. which we've talked about, right? So um, with the, the Noahic covenant with Noah, mm-hmm. it's this judgment of the entire world is what initiates the covenant, right? right? And then, of course, he sacrifices uh, on the altar. But, but then after that, Abraham, God, God in Genesis 15, has him cut these animals in half. Yeah, and the torch and all And that. God walks through the pieces on his own, right? right? And then in chapter 17, we see circumcision is that sort of picture blood of sacrifice. Again. Yeah, so the blood again. And then um, here, right, the, the covenant was really made through the sacrifice of the lambs as they came out of out of yep, Egypt. Blood so, across the door lintel, right? Yeah, so it's so. a... And <laughs> the picture that's so important is that this is a... This is all of your life, right? This, this, this is something that you can't get out of. Um, that it's it's impossible to escape from. It's such an important thing, and so that this idea of a covenant is one of the main structures we see in the Bible. So God's going to make one of the most important covenants with Israel in this section as well. Yeah. So what are some aspects of this particular covenant? We you know you talked about you know uh, the blood and the lentil and all that. What else is or parts of his covenant? Yeah. So God, so in a covenant, um, God obviously he's initiating relationship. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest things, right? God is right. entering into a relationship, but it's it's going to have different aspects to that relationship. So God will make promises. Here's what I'm going to do for you, mm-hmm. right? We saw that with with uh, with Abraham. He's promising that he's going to give him the land that will bless him with offspring and all that. Um, here, God's promising them the land. And to be really a blessing to the entire world, right. it's, a, it's an expansion of the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. But it not only does it have promises from God, but it also comes with commands to humans. Right. So there's, there's two sides to the covenant, and God is saying, here's what you have to do as your part in this covenant. Mm-hmm. And there's a threat in the covenant, right? Which is if you don't fulfill your part of the covenant, then the penalty is going to be death. Right. So this is going to become a real problem because as you said, Ten Commandments are not going to be fulfilled right. by the Israelites or by you or me. Right. Right. By, there's no one who has except yeah. for except for one. But it's really it's really the, also the idea of a treaty with God. So it's it is this kind of a marriage covenant idea, mm-hmm. but it can also just be seen as a treaty. So back when they made treaties, they would actually make two copies of the treaty. So one would be given to the the sovereign, the the you know the the superior party and then one to the vassal, right? To the, right. the inferior party. And both those tablets will be given in the treaty. And some people say that what's happening here when God creates two tablets for the Ten Commandments is that actually each tablet has the entire law. But the picture there would have been there's two copies of the law because it's between God and man. Right. And that's a little bit of speculation. We don't really know for sure, obviously. 
but I think there's, there's a good chance that's, that's possible. And then that's put into the Ark of the Covenant, which is this picture of the throne of God or the, or the footstool of God in his throne room. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the commandments are there. The covenant is there. So yeah. God is, is sort of standing upon his covenant with his people mm-hmm. in his relationship to, to the world. That's awesome. So we got some tablets that are being made in this part of the story. We got commands of obedience asked of God to his people. Obviously, God is going to be, we're going to continue to see God being the fulfiller of the yep. promises because man always fails. Um, but we get this law that's passed down um, to the people of God. And like you said earlier, it, it's, it starts the, the, the actual formation of this government, this new nation um, uh, that, that has its rules and regulations. Um, so what's the big purpose with the law for this nation? Yeah, so God actually reveals a little bit of that. Um, when he starts to speak to Israel. Mm-hmm. So, so on, in chapter 19, he begins, this is before the, the law is given, but he's speaking to them and he begins to tell them a little bit of their identity. So he says in 19, verse 4, verses 4 to 6 are super important verses mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Mm-hmm. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Right. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Hmm. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So a kingdom of, of priests, this is such an important idea, and a holy nation, right? So holy nation, they're set apart for God's purposes, mm-hmm. but they're a kingdom of priests. So there, there will be a priest, right, our high priest and a set of priests in Israel but he's actually saying that your entire nation is to function as a kingdom of priests. Right. Meaning the purpose of a priest was to speak on behalf of God to the people and mm-hmm. to speak on behalf of the people to God, right? Yeah. To intercede between God and, and man. And what he's saying is the purpose of every person in that nation will be the same to those outside. Right. Will be to, to be a, a picture of God, to speak them God's truth and to um, represent them to God on, on their behalf. So. Right. I mean, th- those two functions are super, super important. Mm-hmm. And so the law is starting to do that. And, and God, as he's, oh, sorry. God, as he's giving this law, is giving a lot of hints of sort of uh, a second creation that's happening. Because mm. um, there was so, decreation with the plagues, right? Yeah. 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 So we saw, we saw that, uh, you know, in, in the original creation account, God speaks 10 times. Mm-hmm. And then with the plagues, there's 10 plagues, and there seems to be a, a parallel there. God's speaking, right. and he's reversing the creation order. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to speak 10 times in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. But the, the entire imagery, really, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the earth is shaking, things are being shaken up as God approaches on the mountain. Right. And... There's Thunder, really a recreation. Yeah. Scary. Yeah, so, and God uh-huh. formed the, the earth by his word, and now he's forming a nation by his word. Mm-hmm. And so he's sort of creating, um, in a new sense, a people for his purposes. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the Ten Commandments are essential in that. We often refer to them as the, the Decalogue. That's what a lot of you know, scholars will call them, the Decalogue, which literally just means ten words. Because right. that's how they're referred to in Scripture, as, as the ten words. Mm. So these 10 words are going to shape and create the people of Israel. Right. Yeah, if there's any question, you know, for the people, if you're putting, like, ourselves in their shoes right now, kind of, like, you know, uh, experiencing the story as they're experiencing it, God's not leaving anything hidden, right? He's letting them know exactly how they should live as his people. So if you want to be my people, you want to be obedient, if you want to be that holy nation, uh, that priesthood, 
you got to live like this. And he yeah. spells it out for him. There's no like mystery about it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, if you do this, and, and so in terms of the purpose of the law, that's kind of a big purpose. But there's sort of three main functions of the law for Israel, mm-hmm. which is that the law will establish order. Right. Remember, that's a big idea that connects with original creation, right? Which yeah. was about God creating order out of chaos. Mm-hmm. So it's going to show how an orderly society functions. It's also going to be a picture of judgment because there will right. be there will be um, specific punishments for crimes mm-hmm. in this. So, some can be, there can be restitution made. Some it's going to be retribution. It's going to be God ending a life in order to pay for this crime. Right. And this points us to, to final judgment. Right. And, and then also, of course, like I said, it's, it's about a relationship with God. Right. This is how you can live in a way that you can relate to God. Yeah. And every relationship has those give and takes, right? So Yeah. You know, yeah, marriage. much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, yeah. There's certain expectations on both sides, and of course, the bar is going to be incredibly high with yeah, God. Exactly. Yeah, as it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, <clears throat> I hear this question often, and I get this question often um, when we're talking about the Ten Commandments as Christians. Um, do these laws, these Ten Commandments, or even we can even talk about any laws in in the Old Testament here as we as we go through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Um, are these laws meaningful for us today? Yeah, absolutely. And this is such a big question. This is part of the reason why when we read through the law, our eyes glaze over because we have no idea why we're reading what we're reading. Right. And anytime that's the case, it's it's not going to be exciting reading. Right. There has mm-hmm. to be something compelling about it. Um, no, the, the law matters for us a lot, and we've, we've lost this in Christianity in a, in a, lot, of, a lot of ways. But many writers in history have talked about the, the threefold use of the law, mm-hmm. the threefold purpose of the law in, for the Christian. So, and what they've said, you know, and again, many people have said this, but they've said that there's kind of three purposes. One is that the law is a mirror. It's showing us our sin. It's showing us who we should be, but also pointing out our sin in order to bring us to Christ. Right? So we see this clearly in the book of Romans, where Paul's talking about how I never knew you know, how, how sinful I was until I read the commandment and it awakened me that desire. And right. I realized like in my heart of hearts, I'm sinful. That's kind right. of the idea, right? So that's important as it, it said, Paul says it killed him, right? And brought him to Christ. It showed him how dead he was mm-hmm. so he could come to faith in Christ. So it's sort of a mirror. Um, the second idea would be sort of a civil use. It provides even for us today, a structure around which we can base our society. And, and as many people know, a lot of American law was based upon so, you know, aspects of Old Testament law. Right. Right. I mean, and the Old Testament law in its own day was revolutionary. It's very different from, say, Hammurabi's code, which we know a lot about, right? Which is just absolutely brutal law. So it shows us how to have civil order and also shows us how to live morally. So there is a use for us today to understand this law to see what kind of life we should live that's pleasing to God and that will lead to flourishing on the earth. That's awesome. I think that's super helpful. Mirror. Uh, civil and, and moral. Well, that's yeah. a great categories to, as you're looking through the laws of the Old Testament, to be able to understand what the whole point of it is. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's yeah. great. Um, so, you know, chapter 20, we have these 10 commandments that are laid out for us. God's word to his people. Here's how you live obedient, holy lives. Here you, here's how you become a, a royal priesthood. Um, uh, but isn't, you know, you know, apart from the Ten Commandments, the law starts getting really nitpicky as we start reading through it. Like you said, it almost gets boring. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, um, isn't there like a large part of this Old Testament law that we can just ignore as Christians or that are kind of obsolete? Yeah. So, yeah, in a sense, absolutely. That, that there's a sense in which 
there are certain laws that don't apply to us in the same sense that they applied, applied to the Israelites, right? I mean, the Bible says we're not under the law, right? That we've been freed because of Christ's work. We've been freed from the power of the law. So we're not under the penalty of the law if we have faith in Jesus. Right. So there's that sense of um, we, we understand that Jesus fulfilled the law for us. So now we obey God in a sense of, of freedom, right? Right. So that's one thing. But also the law in its full form was given to, to Israel, and this is very important to understand how this relates to us because Israel itself was a nation and, mm-hmm. and nations operate with certain laws. There are certain um, rules that they have um, that apply to people within their borders. Right. They don't apply to people outside. And you actually see this in some of the laws of Israel. They don't always apply to people outside of their nation. Mm-hmm. And it, so for the same reason... In a sense, I mean, it's not quite the same, but the same reason that you and I don't follow the laws of France, um, we wouldn't follow the laws of, of Israel right. because we are not part of that nation. Right. So there are certain laws that, that we don't obey because they are laws that are civic laws. And then, of course, there are also ceremonial laws, so laws re- related to sacrifice. Diet, right? Uh, yeah, 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 things like, like that, um, which maybe kind of yeah, go both. into both. Yeah. yeah, a little bit, but... The ceremonial laws, just to take you know, the temple, the sacrifices, all that, we don't follow that because the, they've been fulfilled in Christ. Right. Obviously, the entire law has been fulfilled in Christ, but for those aspects, it, it's very important that we understand just how much Christ has fulfilled those laws, so we don't need to go to a temple anymore because right. we have Jesus who connects us to the Father. Yeah, he's made the sacrifice. Yeah, we don't need all. a sacrifice. We don't yeah. need to go, go and offer sacrifices again and again. We don't need a high priest. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we shouldn't have We have a high priest. priest. Go, go right. Hebrews, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't, need, we don't need that system anymore. Oh. And the book of Hebrews is, su- is very clear on that. So for us to go back to those laws and think we have to, have to fulfill them mm-hmm. is, is it's an insult to what Christ did on the cross, right? right. He paid for it once for all. And so we trust in his sacrifice. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're going to be wading through a lot of, of law in the next few weeks. Um, so it's so, so important for all of us to see why we shouldn't just skim over this. Yeah. This, this reveals to us God's character in a lot of ways. That's awesome. Well, I do want to get in and just talk briefly about each of the Ten Commandments. Um, a great way to organize the Ten Commandments when you're looking at them is the, the first four commandments are vertical. They, they, talk to, uh, uh, they talk to the relationship between man and God. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments speak to the relationship horizontally of man to man. How do we live amongst each other? And um, Yeah, that kind of sums up yeah. the, the laws. As Jesus will say it later, right? yeah. which is love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, the strength, and love mm-hmm. your neighbor as yourself. Right. That in this area is the whole, the whole law, yeah. and that's pretty obviously true. Just mm-hmm. even yeah, in, in the Ten Commandments. So, yeah. So let's let's go through some of these in chapter twenty. Commandment number one. Commandment number one. Yeah, and we'll just see some some important things. So, commandment number one is is pretty straightforward, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, first of all, God has a little preamble there, right? I'm the right. Lord your God. Chapter twenty, verse two. Who blessed you, who saved you from slavery. Kind yeah, of who yeah. brought you out of land, of land of Egypt. So I'm I'm Yahweh. This is my name that's been revealed. I brought you, I redeemed you. And now, verse 3, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So, I mean, really, that that is... This implies that there are other gods in existence? Yeah, there, there are false gods, yeah. Yeah, and there are demonic powers and things like that, right? But... Um, yeah, he's saying don't don't have any anyone before me, mm-hmm. and really every sin is a fundamental replacement and rejection of God. 
Yes, yes. Right? I mean, even going back to, to the original sin. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say you can actually filter the rest of the Ten Commandments. You know, the root of all that is the ultimate rejection of, of idolatry to other gods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so replacing God with someone else, even if that's yourself, right? right? That's, that's the original sin was Satan saying you, yeah. you will be like God. Mm-hmm. So you can replace God. So that's putting a, a God before the true God. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the first commandment. The second commandment is, I think, maybe the most misunderstood commandment. Um, the second commandment, it's, it's about idolatry, right? But look at what it says, verse 4, chapter 20. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So obviously, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I just thought this was basically like the first commandment. Hmm. So like the first commandment is don't have any other gods. And the second commandment is really don't have any other gods. Right. Like don't make any idols. Like, okay, well, so why say the same thing twice? And of course there is that aspect of he is, he is saying the same thing in a, in a sense, but there's much more in the mm-hmm. second commandment. And really I think what he's, what he's saying is, not only to not worship other gods, but to not worship the true God as you would worship a false god. Mm. So he's saying, don't make a an image of God. Don't put God into an image form. Wait, wait, wait. So what if we have like our slides for worship when we're singing in our church? When we when we could sing inside of a church, what if there's a picture of Jesus' face behind <laughs> the lyrics? Is that okay or is that not okay? That's not okay for its own set of reasons, um, but, but that's just that's just distracting and terrible. Um, but uh, but no, well Jesus is the image of God, right? He is God in flesh. Right. So I think maybe images of him are a little bit different. But the the eternal God, right, who is spirit, who does not put himself into human form, or doesn't put himself into visible form, cannot be contained by man in right. that sort of form. It's a it, that's idolatry. That is taking God and lowering Him. Yeah, exactly. This is as we talked about, you know, that, last yeah. week. Yeah. So that's that's a big part of it. In fact, what you'll see later on when the Israelites enter into idolatry is that they think it's Yahweh. Mm. That's the claim, right? So it's not a claim of hey, like not right away. It's not a claim of let's go after Baal, let's go after false gods. It's a claim of let's worship the true God in a false way. Right. Um, so like, like when you have mm-hmm. Exodus thirty-two, the famous. Right, famous idolatry instance where Aaron makes the golden calf, yeah. right? And then what, what does he say when he's done? Exodus 32, verse 4. He says, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up mm. out of the land of Egypt. Yep. It's also the same thing that Jeroboam will say when he creates the two golden calves in 1 Kings chapter 12. Mm-hmm. In 1 Kings 12, 28, he says the exact same thing. He says, These are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So the claim is not go worship false god. It's Worship the true God in your on your own terms. Mm. Let's let's just combine some of the the worship methods of the world of the nations and combine that with the true God. Right, and wouldn't that be a lot better? And the answer is is absolutely not. God must be worshipped on His own terms. Right. And so you, you yeah. see that a lot today too, like culturally in, yeah. in churches where people don't like the way we're supposed to worship God according to his word and they make up new ways of worshiping him. Yeah. And or com- I mean combining different religions. Yeah. It's That's a, a huge thing. It's a huge thing, yeah. right? Especially in Santa Cruz. It's a huge thing, right? And 
You have to lovingly help people with that, but that's a huge problem. If you're going to say, well, worshiping God on his own terms is not enough for me. I need something more. And so I'm going to dabble in, you know, a different religion. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. I mean, and this is what you'll see again and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but in the old Testament, again and again, they'll talk about the high places. So in, in, you know, first Kings, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, it's a big theme of this King didn't remove the high places. Mm -hmm. The high places was, um, places where they would set up altars to God, to Yahweh. Um, sometimes they'd have idols there too, other idols there too, but very often it was worshiped of God. But instead of being in the temple where God told them to be, they would go worship God out in nature. Right. Which I mean, hey, isn't it? I mean, we're worshiping in nature yeah, right now. Well, it feels much better, right? Yeah. I mean, after all, church is just a people group, so I can worship God just as good from my home or from surfing yeah. or whatever it is. So instead right? of, yeah, in this case, it's, I mean, now we can, we can, we can obviously gather wherever we want as God's people. Correct. You know, churches have to be in one place, but. But this is this is God expressly said, you worship in this way with this kind of altar at this place. You don't worship anywhere else. And they said, no, we're gonna we're gonna kind of do this our own way. We're gonna package it on our own terms. So mm-hmm. I think that the second commandment is speaking to a lot of those things. A desire to take God and to uh, craft Him into our image and to be able to control God. Mm, that's good. I think it's really insightful for the second commandment because I think most people on reading just. Clump, lump it in with the the, yeah. the first commandment. In fact, I think if, if you're Catholic, th- those two are the first commandment. Right. And then what they'll do is they'll break um, the command against coveting into two different commandments. So it becomes nine and ten. So don't covet your neighbor's wife. That's commandment number nine. And mm-hmm. then don't, don't covet your neighbor's ox or dog. You know, they right. kind of, it's kind of interesting that way. But that's a common thing as well. But no, I think these are. It's important to understand what's happening here. Mm, that's good. Okay, commandment three. Let's commandment keep moving. Yeah. So commandment three is about God's name, right? Don't take God's name in vain. And, um, and the name of God is a precious thing, as we've seen in this entire book, yeah. right? So God's name is the epitome of who he is. And so you need to protect the holiness and the character of God in your speech. And it's not, this is not just saying OMG, right? It's not just saying... You know, right. a swear word with God's name, which whatever. is very culturally American, at least over the past like fifty years. It has yeah. been. Right? I mean, obviously, like blaspheming God, like using God's name casually, is is included in this. Yeah, it's it doesn't bring honor to God; like, it brings him down. Yeah, right? yeah. Like don't don't use God's name in a flippant way. But I think it's also the idea here is also that it's possible to take God's name in vain, to take God's name upon yourself <laughs> by invoking God in something that is um, an offense to Him. Is that kind of when you were, uh, I think you were in Israel and uh, you... Yes, I might have blasphemed God Yeah. more, I, I kind of accidentally, but yeah. we're not going to, you know... Yeah, we'll tell it, ask Brandon on Sunday morning about a story when yeah, he... Yeah, I think um, I've, I've shared it before. When but, he called himself I Am, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but it's really, it, I'd say it's more of, you know, giving a veneer of religion to mm-hmm. your actions, right? Like this is, I mean, politicians are great at this, right? right? Oh, I'm do- doing this. I'm, I'm so godly. I'm so wonderful. And, and then your policies and your practice, you're doing terrible things, right? but you're saying, well, I'm, I'm a great Christian person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that all the time in our culture. And that is one way of taking God's name in vain. It's just using God for your purposes. It's so you trash God's name right. in, in your actual life. Mm. So that's, that's the third commandment. Fourth commandment, so this is kind of the last one of the four that are more vertical. Right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, all have a vertical component because it's right. everything we do is worshiping God. But um, this is honoring God through your rest, right? So he talks about the Sabbath. We're supposed to follow the pattern of God. We're supposed to rest, uh, work six days, rest one. I always say some people have 
a hard time with the resting one day because they want to work seven. Some people have a hard time with the working six, right? <laughs> like I'll work two, I'll work three days. Um, we should work hard, but we should rest trusting for God to provide for us. And this is built into the creation order, right? right? It's how he created us. We need to rest to spend time worshiping him, but also just to remember that we're not God. Right. That we have to rest to trust him. I don't want to get too into the weeds of it, but like, I mean, what does Sabbath look like for you? I mean, I know there's even, you know, within Christianity, there's a lot of different takes on what the Sabbath is for the Christian today. Yeah. I mean, again, not to go into it too deeply, but where do you land with what day of the week is the Sabbath on and what do you do on the Sabbath? Yeah. Day? So obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but Sunday for me is not a Sabbath, right? Like this Sunday we'll have... your pastor, you teach. Yeah. It's yeah. A, like that's not, I mean, worshiping with God's people is, an, is a must every single week of the year, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Um, that's clear in scripture, but for me, that's not a restful day. That's, you know, sermon in the morning very often. This week mm-hmm. we have membership class. We got, right, uh, uh, meetings in the afternoon, hanging out with the guy. Like, it's very busy. It's a mm-hmm. very busy day. For me, I think the, the main idea with the Sabbath is actually ceasing from activity and, and resting. Mm-hmm. So it's easy as a pastor to think, I'm, I'm rest. You know, my Sabbath is I get to worship with God's people, but I'm not getting recharged through that. So for me, a Sabbath is usually Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's time with family. I don't check email. I don't sermon prep. I don't do anything uh, right. work related. It's just a complete ceasing of activity. And I, I, t- I kind of do it like the Israelites would do it, which is sundown to sundown. So right. like maybe you know Friday night when the sun is is setting, that's kind of my cue to step away, and then I can go back to work. Saturday night. Right. So that's kind of how I do it. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, because I think you do hear a lot of different perspectives on, on the Sabbath and rest. I land where you do with that. And like, I think an important part is, I mean, you can do, you can also like, it's the hard issue of the Sabbath for me too. Like, so you can rest, uh, and not do your main work one day. Um, but then you can, it's like getting off a of vacation. You don't, you just don't feel rested sometimes, even when you're taking a rest, you know? So I think it's important in the middle of your rest or you're taking a break from your normal work to make sure you are actively and mentally and emotionally um, glorifying God with that time of rest, right? So the whole point is to reflect, to rest, to recharge uh, in the assurance of what God has done for you, that he's given you that day for rest to be blessed in order to glorify him. So I think glorifying God in your rest is a huge part of what it means to take a Sabbath. Like you're, you're resting in God, not resting in whatever you're doing. Obviously you're doing both, but you can't forget about God uh, during those times of rest, you know? So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Time with time with God. And, and, and he's going to build this into the entire year calendar for them. They're not just resting one day a week. They're for also sure. resting in seasons and we should do the same. Yeah. That's awesome. Commandment yeah. five. Let's jump into it. Um, so this is now the, the start of the commands that are more horizontal, like you said, mm-hmm. right? So we've been talking about okay, how, relationship with God now, how to relate to others. Mm-hmm. And five is really sort of a bridge between those two, two sides of it. Right. right. Yep. And, and cause when you're, uh, obeying your your mother and your father, as the fifth commandment says, you're obeying the first human authority, right, given to you by God for your good, mm-hmm. um, to protect you, to nourish you, all those things. So, um, you know, verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So mm. it's also important because, I mean, this this command that's related to family comes before murder, yeah, there is a hierarchy to the commandments, right? It's like yeah. most important to least 
they're all important, but you know, there, there's a hierarchy to it. And because we get the rest right, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, envy. Makes sense. Those all make sense in terms of order of severity. Right. Right. If everyone's envying in culture, it's bad, mm-hmm. but, but we can figure it out. If everyone's murdering, bad. Hu- I mean, huge problems, right? So why well, is this one so important? Well, right. I think we should like listen to God's word and know that it's more important than the other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the the family protecting the family and valuing the family is essential for an orderly society. Right. It's essential for your walk with God. Right. You want mm-hmm. to the the best of your ability. You can't control your family. You can't fix what's wrong in other people, obviously. But the family is the primary unit of society. It's the first institution created right. by God. It's where life comes from. It's where you learn to be who you are, right? It's, it's so valuable. And it's amazing to me, amazing to me how our culture has so trashed this idea as unimportant. Right. As even, yeah, I mean, we can go on that for a long time, but just, just how little the family is valued even more mm. anymore. Um, but this is, this is the most important command when it comes to relationship with humans is to honor your father and mother, to value the family and all that it represents in your life. Right. That's good. Okay. Commandment six. I want to keep pushing us Murder. Along. Yeah. So, I mean, very, very obvious why murder is, you know, commanded against death is the result of curse and it's a symbol of disorder. So to enter into that willfully is one of the gravest evils you can do, right? It's, it's undoing creation. It's, it's a defiling of the image of God, which is right. placed into humanity. I mean, murder yeah, is clear. Human. Yeah. Yeah. And this also means that we should value life. It's not just don't murder, check. Right, that's good. Right? I yeah. haven't murdered. No, it's value life in all of its forms and, yeah. and care for those around you. Yeah, that's great. Commandment seven um, is obviously it's tied to the previous two commandments, right? P- purity in our sexual lives is crucial to mm-hmm. our holiness and it's crucial to the family. Yep. Um, it's crucial to life itself, right? Because this is the act by which we create life. So God, God's the Lord of everything, right? And how we live in our sexuality shows what we worship. Right. So, so he commands us to, to not commit adultery. Yeah, and as you've mentioned in many, yeah, and you even see it in the Golden Calf and some other, in Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff, whenever you have a uh, idolatrous people, oftentimes adultery is connected with it. There's a sexual yeah. component to running from God, you know? Yep. And so, and it seems to always get distorted and put out the forefront of human desire. But yep. Absolutely. Um, commandment eight. Yep. So Steal. commandment eight is against stealing. Yeah. So there's there's also a certain order when it comes to property. God doesn't just value humans. Right. He also values property. This shows us that God has given to us property. Right. That you can't steal from someone if there's no private property. I gotta ask. Communism, good or bad? Absolutely horrible. Okay. Right. And and this makes clear. Right. That there is private property. You can you have things that you own and to take from someone else, even if it's the government, right, mm-hmm. forcefully taking all of your stuff from you, it's evil, right? right. St- stealing is is evil. Um, and then commandment number nine shows us the value of truth. Yep. Reminds us of of the value of truth that we shouldn't lie. Don't bear false witness. And then commandment number ten, um, don't envy, don't covet, mm-hmm. shows us that these commands extend even to the heart. Right. right. So it's not just about things you do outwardly. Um, it's also about your heart condition. Yeah. And this, this is where it gets really tough. Right? I mean, because we can, we can think that we've obeyed all those laws, but when it comes to the heart. Right. Um, and Jesus makes that abundantly clear in the New yeah, Testament. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Out of the heart. Mark 7 talks about out of the heart mm. come all of these yep. evils. And so it's, it's a heart problem first and foremost. Uh, are, these, are these commands that we see... You know, this is chapter 20 of the second book of the Bible. Have we seen it before, any of these laws or rules previously in the Bible? Yeah, so, so none of this is 
new. It's new in the sense of these Ten Commandments, but everything we're seeing in the Ten Commandments came from the original creation order. Interesting. Okay. So everything that we're seeing is built into Genesis 1 and 2. This is how God created the world to function. Mm-hmm. So he's reminding them of these ordinances he gave in creation, right? Remember in creation, God establishes um, worship of him, mm-hmm. right? He gives them this relationship enter, into this um, into this relationship where they can know each other, where they can worship God. They also are given this command of Sabbath, right, to rest. Rest is something that they did even before the fall, right? right. Work and rest are both pre-fall. Right. There's a clear value of life. Mm-hmm. Yep. God, God creates them in his image. And so there's this uh, implicit command of valuing life. And, and even then, when Cain kills his brother, you see you know, the destructiveness of that in yep. society. Exactly. And then yeah. you have family and marriage and sexuality, right? The, the value of that from the very beginning. Right. So all of these things that we see in these commandments are based on what we saw in creation. Mm. They're, not, they're not new in that sense. Right. So that's good. So um, then we get, you know, that's the Ten Commandments. That's almost the broad brush of, of how God's people should live. And then we have some other uh, laws that are relating to the Ten Commandments. So we get laws about slaves. And I want to touch on two more topics, um, 21 and then um, chapters 22 and 23. I want to touch on those briefly before we get to our gospel connection. Um, yeah. But let's briefly, like, what is, what is this law about slaves? I, I thought slavery was bad, you know? So what's this all about? Yeah, so it's, it's especially odd because they were just delivered from slavery. Yeah, exactly. So you would think it's time to free all the slaves. So what, what's happening here? Well, um, Exodus actually is, of all the books on the law, Exodus focuses uh, almost, it's almost the only book. There's, there are commands in other books, but almost all the commands about slaves are in Exodus. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with their identity as previous slaves. Mm. And now what God is, is showing them is that the way that they hold slaves, the way they have, they have servants and slaves, should be very different from before, mm. right? Because they are people that are freed, and so how they treat others should should change. Right. And we can go into a lot of detail, but there's a lot of things that are very different about slavery um, that almost make it like not slavery right. in the sense, right? We what we think of slavery, like you couldn't force someone into slavery, you couldn't kidnap someone and force them into slavery, so they had to basically sell themselves into slavery. Right. If someone ran away from you as a slave, you couldn't bring them back. You can't abuse your so slaves. So I yeah. mean, that totally yeah. changes how we think of it. You could, obviously, there's lots of laws built into the value of slaves and all these sorts of things. So it's a very different system than, than how we see... Than American especially. Yeah, than American yeah. racist kind of slavery. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very different. But God's concerned with this because of how he has, he has freed them from slavery. This is part of their national identity. Yeah, for sure. And we're all uh, enslaved to something, right? We might as well be, uh, and hopefully, prayerfully, enslaved to God or servants of God, right? Yeah. So that's the big connection, I think. Um, social justice. You know, some of your headings in your Bibles will say uh, social justice, laws about social justice. So yeah, um, every, you know, if you haven't heard that word in the last uh, couple of years, and I don't know where you've been, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what is God talking about? What is social justice according to God? What is social justice according to the world? I mean, how how can the Christian think through this? Yeah. Obviously, another huge topic. That uh, I'm guessing when the translators use that term, social justice, they're just talking about justice in society. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing um, because it doesn't necessarily relate to what we think of now as social justice. Yeah. Um, but it, it is interesting, and there's actually some things here that um, remind us that God's view of justice is very different. Mm 
from how many in our world view justice. Like when you think of social justice today, it's actually the idea of that there is inequity between different people groups. So you kind of lump people into oppressed categories and then we have to somehow make restitution based on level of oppression. So yeah. if somebody's from an oppressor group, right, which based like, on skin color, yeah, not gender, yeah, or whatever. Right, you know, if you're Christian, obviously that kind of stuff, um, then you have been historically part of an oppress, oppressor group. And if others are oppressed, then you have to actually um, sort of wait justice in a sense to, to make things equal. Mm-hmm. So you should take from one and give to the other. Or if there's a, uh, an altercation between two people, then you automatically blame one and you, and you excuse the other, right? right. Because of that oppression history. And it, Exodus shows us that's, that is antithetical to God's understanding of justice. Right. Justice in, in scripture really is blind. Hmm. It's blind to all of those things. And so the way we deal with people should not be on the basis of outside conditions as much as we might pity them. Yeah, or group identity. Or, yeah, or care yeah. about those things, yeah. but it should be on the basis of was the law broken, mm-hmm. right? That's, so I, what I see in, in chapter 23, there's this, this paragraph at the beginning of 23. In verse 1, it says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man. To, to be a malicious witness, so you don't, in the court of law, right, um, try, to, try to wait justice one way or the other. Verse two, you should not fall in with the many to do evil. Mm. So don't be a, you know, don't, no demagoguery, no joining in with um, the masses to hurt those in the minority. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to prefer justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man mm. in his lawsuit. So the poor who historically have, you know, been marginalized, mistreated. It's interesting because there are other places in the scripture where it says, don't be partial to a rich man. Right. Which we all get that, right? Don't be partial to a right. rich man because you're going to want that guy on your side. Maybe he'll, you know, yeah, grease your palms a little bit. Yeah. That, whole, that sort of thing. But here he's saying something that's sort of, it, it's sort of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. He's saying, don't go against the powerful just because you feel bad for the person who is, who is, is weaker, right? right? Or, or who, who might seem more oppressed. Instead, look at justice. Or in verse 6, he says, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. So it's both, right? Right, which is it's exactly opposite is, yeah. to liberation theology and yeah. things you hear these days. Yeah, what is, what is justice? Not how do I have to act as God and bring cosmic justice, fixing all the wrongs of society, but how do I administer this law to say, have you done evil or have you done good? Mm. Right, And what is, what is the penalty of the law? So mm. Um, what God's going to institute in the Old Testament system is it's counterculture. It was countercultural back then. It's countercultural today. For sure. It will always be, sadly, always be countercultural. Well, we are running out of time. Um, but let's, let's again, what we always want to do at Daily Gospel is look at these Bible readings, examine these books, but get the big picture and how it connects to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, how are these chapters, 15 to 22, 23, um, how are these chapters in the book of Exodus showing us the goodness of the gospel. Yeah, again, so, so many things. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, right? he says in Matthew four seventeen, his, his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm. So just as God has made his treaty with Israel as the, as the great king, um, as he's creating a nation from them, God is, Jesus is bringing a, another kingdom, right? or really the fulfillment of that original kingdom of God, He's bringing that and he's saying, turn from your ways, right? And obey God. Mm. Oh, uh, follow, follow the law that's been given to you, right? So there has to be a turning and an entering into the kingdom. 
So that same idea is present, but what Jesus brings is something far better, yeah. right? Because he will be the one who fulfills the law. So just before this, he's tempted, tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Mm-hmm. Just as Israel was tempted for 40 years. Right. But Jesus passes the test, right? Jesus, Jesus is the perfect law fulfiller. Mm-hmm. But not only that, he's the perfect law giver. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes up on a mountain mm. and he gives a law. Right. It's, it's, it's parallel to what Moses did in going up to receive a law from God. Right. But his law is not one that brings curse, as, as the law of Moses did, but it's one that brings blessing. Right? Yeah. He says, blessed, 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 blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, all these things. Jesus is, is bringing blessing, and the reason is because Jesus is the one who's going to give his life for us. So he fulfills mm. the law. He fulfills the law that he gave in order that the law be fulfilled in us mm. so that we'd, we would receive his, the credit for all of his righteous deeds and he would receive the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good news if I've heard it right. Absolutely. And, yeah. then, and then we see in John, I love, in John, John has a lot, of, um, a lot of parallels with Exodus as well and with Genesis, but in John we see Jesus referring to himself as the, the bread of life, right? Mm. And it's from that manna passage, yeah, living um, he, water too, right? And yeah, yeah, living water in John chapter seven. So Jesus is pointing to himself and saying, "I am what you need," mm-hmm. right? Um, in in verse thirty one of John six, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as is written, "He gave them bread from heaven to eat." Mm. But Jesus says in verse thirty three, "For the bread of heaven is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world." The the, the bread you ate back then wasn't enough. Mm. It was a pointer to me. Yeah, the water you drank was not enough. You're still thirsty. Right. You need a spiritual water. You need to be. You need to have your thirst quenched in the deepest sense. Hmm. So, so Jesus is all of those things. He reminds us that he he's our provision. He's the one who fills the law. He's the one who gives the perfect law. Hmm. He's all of it. That's yeah. Amen to that. And um, we are at time for today. I want to keep talking more about this. I think we could press into more of how Exodus points to the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. But we're going to leave it for now. If you guys have questions, you can always reach out to us. Um, but I hope this was uh, equipping you to know God through His Word and Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week for daily gospel.